Section 30 of Uther and Egrain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uther and Egrain by Warwick Deeping. Book 3 The War in Wales. Chapter 10. When Egrain had ended her tears and grown calm and quiet, Peleus took her hand and led her to a grass bank painted thick with flowers that sloped to the white boughs of a great may tree. He was radiant in his manhood, and his eyes burnt for her with such a splendor of pride and tenderness that she trembled in thought for the secret she had kept from him in her heart. He could know nothing of Gorlois, or he would not have come thus to her. The mocking face of fate leered at her like a satyr out of the shadows. Yet with the joy of the moment she put the thoughts aside and lived on the man's lips and the great love that brimmed for her in his eyes. Peleus sat in the long grass at her feet and looked up at her as at a saint. Never had she seen such glory of happiness on human face, never such manhood deified by the holier instincts of the heart. The sheer strength of his devotion carried her above her cares and made her content to live for the present and to gird time with the girdle of an hour. You are no nun, Egrain. She smiled at him and shook her head. No, no, Peleus. Would to God you had told me that a year ago. Would to God I had. It would have saved much woe. Egrain hung her head. The man's words were prophetic in their honest ignorance, and the whole tale had almost rushed from her that moment but for a certain selfishness that held her mute, a fear that overpowered her. She knew the fiber of Peleus's soul. To tell him the truth would mean to call his honor to arms against his love, and she dreaded that thought as she dreaded death. I was a fool, Peleus she said, with a queer intensity of tone that made the man look quickly into her eyes. You did not know. Pardon, Peleus, I knew your soul, how true and strong it was. God knows I tried you to the end, and bitter truth it proved to me. If you had only waited. Ah, Egrain. Only a night. You would have had the truth at dawn. I struggled for your soul and for mine, as I thought. Yes, yes. You chose the nobler part, thinking me a mere woman, a frail thing blown about by my own passion. I loved you, Peleus, for the deed, though it nigh brought me to my death. God knows I honored you, Egrain. Too well. It had been better for us both if you had been more human. There was an anguish of regret in her voice, a plaintive accusation that made Peleus wince to the core. He bent down and kissed her hand as it lay in her lap, then looked into her face with a mute appeal that brought her to the verge of tears. Courage, courage, dear heart. God bless you, Egrain. I am very glad of your love. Come now, tell me how the year has passed. Egrain held his hand in hers and began to twist her hair about his wrist into a bracelet of gold. Her eyes faltered from his and were hot and heavy with an inward misery of thought. The man's words wounded her at every turn, and in his innocence he shook her happiness as a wind shakes a tree. 
There is little I can tell you, she said. Every hour is as gold to me. Would I had them lying in my lap? We are young yet, Egrain. There was a joyousness in his voice that sounded to the girl like a blow struck upon empty brass, or like the laugh of a child through a ruined house. His rich optimism mocked her to the echo. I took refuge in Winchester, she began, with Radamanth, my uncle, and lodged there many months. I watched for you and waited, but got no news of a knight named Peleus. Week by week, as my knowledge grew, I began to think and think, to piece fragments together, to dream in my heart. I longed to see this Uther of whom all Britain talked. Ah, you remember the cross, Peleus, which you left at my feet? Peleus smiled. She put her hand into her bosom with a little brush of pride and looked into the man's eyes. I have it here still, she said where it has hung these many months. This scrap of gold first taught me to look for Uther. Ah, Egrain, am I a king? My king, sire, and oh, how long it was before I could get news of you. Yet in time tidings came. Then it was that I left Winchester, went on foot through the land, and hearing again of you, I set out for Wales and Caerleon with rumors of war in my ears. Even from Caerleon I followed you, even to the western sea, where I saw the great battle with Gillomanius, and the noble deeds you did there for Britain. Peleus's dark eyes flashed up to hers. A man loves to be noble indeed before the face of the woman he serves, a species of divine vanity that begets heroes. The girl's staunch faith was a thing that proffered the superbest flattery. You are very wonderful, Egrain. It was all for my own heart. And what greater joy could I have than to see you a king before the thundering swords of your knights? You saw that, Egrain? Do you remember a hillock by the pine forest on the ridge, where you reined in after the charge and uncovered your head to the sun? As it were yesterday. I stood on that hillock, Peleus, and saw your face after many months. Ah, Egrain, said I not you were very wonderful? No, no, I am only a woman, only a woman. God give me such a wife. The word was keen as the barb of a lance. Peleus's head was bowed over the girl's hand as he pressed his lips to the gold circlet of hair and he did not see the frown of pain upon her face. Wife! What a mockery! What bitterness! The sky seemed black for a moment, the valley bare with the blasts of winter and the moan of tortured trees. She half choked in her throat, and her heart seemed to fail within her like a bowl that is broken. Yet there was a smile on her face when Peleus looked up from the circlet of her hair with the pride of love in his large eyes. What ails you, Egrain? A mere thought of the past. Tell it me. No, no, it is nothing. A mere vapor, and it has passed. How warm your lips are to my fingers. Tell me of yourself, Peleus. But this armor, Egrain? 
I took it from a dead knight, God rest his soul. I have wandered long in Wales, yet ever drew to Caerleon, where folk spoke your name, yet never might I come near you, lest, lest you were too great for me. Child, child, Uther Pendragon, King of Britain. Let the world die. And let us live, Peleus. Tell me of yourself. The man looked long over the valley in silence. His face was very grave, and his eyes were deep with thought, as though the past awed him with the recollection of its bitterness. May I never pass such another night, he said. The words were curt and calm enough as though leaving infinite things unsaid. Egrain sat silent by him and still plaited her hair about his wrist. I went away in the dark, for I thought you were a nun, Egrain, and I would not break your vows. I was nearly blind for an hour. Twice my horse stumbled and fell with me in the woods, and once I was smitten out of the saddle by a tree. Dawn came, and how I cursed the sun. I seemed to see your face everywhere, and to hear your voice in every sound. Days came and went, and I hated the sight of man. As for my prayers, I could not say them, and I was dumb in my heart towards God. I rode north into the wilds, and into the fenlands of the east. Strange things befell me in many places. I fought often, beast and wild men, and robber ruffians out of the woods. Fighting pleased me. It eased the wrath in my heart that seemed to rage up against the world, and against all things that drew breath. I wandered in the night of the forests, waded through swamps, took my food by the sword, and never blessed man or woman. I felt bitter and evil to the core. Egrain bent down and touched his forehead with her lips. Brave heart, she said. You shall hear how I came by my own soul again. Ah, tell me that. It was as though a still voice came to me out of heaven. I was riding in the northern wilds not far from rough coastland and the sea, and riding came upon a little house of timber all bowered round with trees. It was a peaceful spot. Flowers grew around, and the sun was shining, and I drew near, moved in my heart to beg food and rest, for I was half-starved and gaunt as a monk from an African desert. What did I see there? A dead man tied to a tree and gored with many wounds. A woman kneeling dead before his feet, thrust through with a sword. A little child lying near with its head crushed by a stone or a club. The sword was a Saxon sword, and I knew who had done the deed. But sight of the dead folk by their empty home seemed to smite my pity like the thought of the dead Christ. I had pitied but myself and you, Egrain, and had wandered through the land like a brute beast, mad with the smart of my own wound. Here was woe enough, agony enough, to shame my heart. Straightway I went down on my knees and prayed, 
and came through penitence and fire to a knowledge of myself. Rise up, said the voice in me, rise up and play the man. There is much sorrow in Britain, much shedding of innocent blood, much violence and much brute wrath. Rise up and strike for woman and for babe. Let your sword shine against the wolves from over the sea. Let your shield hurl them from the ruined hearths of Britain, the smoking churches, and the children of the cross. So I rose up strong again and comforted, and rode back into the world to do my duty. When Peleus had made an end of speaking, Egrain's eyes were full of tears. The simplicity of the man's words had awakened to the full all the pathos of the past in her, and she was as proud of him as when she saw him hurl Gilimanius and his host down the green slopes towards the sea. Her lips quivered as she spoke to him, looking into his face with her eyes dim and shadowy with tears. Forgive me all this. It has been good for me, Egrain, nor would I alter the days that are gone. No, no. We have found love again. Ah, Peleus! What more need we ask? What more? Her voice was half a wail. Again it was winter and the wind blew as though at midnight. The flowers and the green woods were blurred before the girl's eyes. Gorloise's hard face and the grey walls of Tintagel came betwixt her and the summer, and though the mood lasted but for a moment, it seemed like the long agony of days crushed into the compass of a minute. Evening stood calm-eyed in the east. A tranquil heat hung over wood and valley, a warm silence that seemed to bind the world into a golden swoon. Not a ripple stirred in the grass with its tapestries of flowers. Every leaf was hushed upon the bough. Nothing moved save the droning bee and the wings of the butterflies hovering color-bright over the meadows. The sky was a mighty sapphire. The woods, carved emeralds, piled giant-wise to the sun. There was no discord and no sound of man, as though the curse of Adam was not yet. Egrain had drawn Peleus's great sword from its sheath. She held it slantwise before her and pressed her lips to the cold steel. Old friend, she said, be ever true to me. Peleus laughed and touched her hair with his hand. A kind of exultation came upon them, and the zest of life crept through the bodies like green sap in spring. Egrain had filled her brazen helmet to the brim with flowers, and she scattered them and sang as they roamed into the hoar shadows of the woods. Dear love of mine, where art thou roaming? The west is red, my heart is calling. Never had the vaults seemed greener, the half-light more mysterious under the mass of trees. The far world was out of ken. They alone lived and had their being. The toil of man was not even like the long sob of moonlit sea, or the sound of rivers running in the night. The infinite strangeness of beauty shone over them like a wizard light out of the west. Egrain's lips were very red, her face white in the shadows, her eyes deep with mute desire. Hand held hand, body touched body. 
Often she would lie out upon Peleus's arm, her head upon his shoulder, her hair clouding over his red harness. They were content to be together, to forget the world save so much of it as came within the ken of their eyes and the close grip of their twined fingers. They said little as they swayed together under the trees. Soul ebbed into soul upon their lips, and a deep ecstasy possessed them like the throbbing pathos of some song. As the day deepened, Peleus and Egrain turned back into the valley hand in hand. The west burnt gold above the treetops. The gnarled trunks were pillars of agate bearing bizened domes of breathless leaves. By the white may-trees the two horses stood tethered, black and grey against the grass. Loosing them, and taking each a bridle, they passed down through flowers to the cottage and the pool. Garlotte met them there with her brown hair pouring over her shoulders, and a clean white kerchief over her throat and bosom. She came to them through a little thicket of foxgloves that were budding early, white and purple. Her blue eyes quivered for a moment over Peleus's face as she made him a deep curtsy and bent to kiss Egrain's hand. There was a vast measure of sympathy in Garlot's heart, and yet for all her well-wishing she was troubled for the two, fearing for them instinctively with even her small knowledge of the world. She had learnt enough from Egrain to comprehend in measure that element of tragedy that had entered with Gorlois into her life. Her interest in the man Peleus was no mere vulgar curiosity, rather an intense pity that permeated her warm innocence of spirit to the core. She had spread supper on the table, a much-meditated feast that had kept her eagerly busy since she had guessed the name of the strange knight who had ridden down out of the woods. She had the pride of a young housewife in her creamy milk, her bread. She had made a tansy cake, and there was a rich cream cheese ready in the cupboard, and a fat rabbit stewing by the fire. Yet for all her ingenuous pride she felt much troubled when it came to the test lest her fare should seem rude and meagre to the great knight in the red harness. Certainly he had a kind face and splendid eyes, but would he not smile at her humble supper, her horn cups, and her plates of hollywood? Her cares were empty enough, but they were very real to the sensitive child who feared to seem shamed before Egrain. Half the happiness of life lies in the kindly sensibility of others to our desire for sympathy. A surly word, a trivial ungraciousness, a small deed passed over in thankless silence, how much these things mean to a sensitive heart. Garlotte, standing in her cottage door, half shy and timid, found her small fears mere little goblins of her little invention. Egrain, radiant as the evening, came and kissed her on the lips. Little sister, you have been very good to me. The great knight, too, was smiling at her in quite a fatherly fashion. What a strong face he had, and what a noble look! She felt sure that he was a good man, and her heart went out to him like an opening flower. When he took her hand and a lock of her hair and kissed it, she went red as one of her own roses and was dumb with an impulsive gladness. Little sister, you have been very good to me. Good, my lord, to you? Child, Egrain can tell you how. But the lady Egrain, she saved my life. Ah, I had not heard that. Tell me, 
Carlotte found her ease in a moment. The whole tale came bubbling up like water out of a spring. Peleus's strong face beamed. He touched Egrain's hair with his fingers and looked into her eyes as only a man in love can look. Garlotte saw that she was giving pleasure and felt a glow from head to heart. Surely this great grave-faced knight was a noble soul. How gentle he was, and how he looked into Egrain's eyes and bent over her like a tall elm over a slim cypress tree. She caught the happiness of the two, and from that moment her heart was singing and she had no more fear for herself and her poor cottage. Even the horn-cups took a golden dignity, and her tansy cake and her cream seemed fit for a prince. The three were soon at supper together, round the wooden table, with honeysuckle and roses climbing close above their heads. Garlotte would have stood and waited on Peleus and Egrain, but they would have none of it, so she was set smiling at the head of her little table, and constrained to play the lady under her own roof. It was a dull meal so far as mere words were concerned. Peleus's eyes were on Egrain in the twilight, and he had no hunger save hunger of heart. Yet that the supper was a success there was no doubt whatever. Garlotte watched them both with a quiet delight. Young as she was, she was wise in the simple love of love, and so she mothered the pair to her heart's content in her own imagination. If only Renan had been there to help her serve and touch her hand under the table, what a perfect guest hour it would have been. When the meal was over, she jumped up with a shy smile, took a rush basket from the wall, and went out into the garden. Egrain called her back. "'Where are you going, child?' Up the valley to the dead oak tree where herbs grow. I must make a stew tomorrow. It will soon be dark. Garlotte swung her basket and laughed from her cloud of hair. You gathered herbs on Sunday, Egrain. You squirrel. Renan was here. You came home after dusk. Goodbye, goodbye. They heard her go singing through the garden, a soft chant d'amour that would have gone wondrously to flute and cithern. It died away slowly amid the trees like an elf's song coming from woodlands in the moonlight. Peleus drew a deep breath and listened in the shadow of the room with his hands clasped before him on the table. He looked as though he were praying. Egrain's eyes were glooms of violet mystery as she watched him, her hands folded over a breast that rose and fell as with the restless motion of a troubled sea. She called the man softly by name, her body bent to him like a bow, her hair bathed his face with dim ripples of gold as mouth touched mouth. They went out into the garden together and stood under the cedar tree. Peleus, my love, my own, heart of mine, you will never leave me. How should the sea put the earth from his bosom, or the moon pass from the arms of the night? I am faint, Peleus. Hold me in your arms. They are strong, Egrain. There, let me rest so forever. Look, the stars are coming out, and there is the moon flooding silver over the trees. My lips burn, and I am faint. Courage, courage, dear heart. How close you hold me! I could die so. What is death to us, Egrain? Or life? God in heaven and heaven on earth. 
Your words hurt me. End of Book 3, Chapter 10 Recording by Jeffrey Wilson, Ames, Iowa